And God descended like a dove And in the middle of it all There was Jesus The wedding in Cana The one made from water Going to the ruler's house to bring life to his daughter. He spoke with authority straight from the Father. No one could explain away his power. And in the middle of it all, there was Jesus on that hill just outside of town a man hung there bleeding dying for the souls of men to captives bring freedom but three days later his tomb was empty he conquered death and the grave, and in the middle of it all, there was Jesus. So no matter what you're facing, and no matter where you've been, in hard times and in good times, keep your eyes on Him, even in the heat of battle, or by pleasant mountain streams, He'll be right there in the middle, that's where He's always been, so be strong and take courage. When you think you're gonna fall Cause right in the middle of it all There is Jesus There is Jesus There is Jesus if you would with me, back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel uh, chapter number 27. Uh, this morning, with the help of the Lord, I do not have a traditional Father's Day message, and I hate to, hate to uh, disappoint anybody there, but I do feel like I've come armed with God's message, and so I hope it'll be a help and encouragement to you today. Out of 1 Samuel chapter number 27, and once you found your place there, you can probably flip over to the right a little bit. And we'll end up in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. So we're going to be in a couple different passages uh, this morning with the help of the Lord, hopefully uh, bringing something that will be an encouragement and a help uh, to you. Again, 1 Samuel 27 is where we will begin, and then we'll end up in 1 Chronicles chapter number 12. I uh, think I mentioned this week on Wednesday, of course, Wednesday night was a super service. Some of those things you just can't uh, plan for and manufacture. And boy, God just uh, showed up in a special way on Wednesday night. And I was not able to preach what the Lord had laid on our heart for that particular service. And I'd been studying all week on, on the life of David. And boy, there's a great study. Uh, and boy, it's tremendous this morning. If you're missing Sunday school, you're missing out on a blessing. 
Uh, Brother Adrian talked about those wells. Man, when you're talking about those wells, I think about Genesis 26 where Abraham digged again, or Isaac digged again the wells of water. And, boy, there's some wells that it'd benefit us to dig again. And those wells that he talked about this morning, what a blessing that is. If you just missed out on Sunday school, well, all I can say is just missed out on a blessing. Encourage you to be here next week, same time. You know, it's not hard to miss. It's just an hour earlier than preaching. And at 10 o'clock, it's every week. So uh, if you can get up a little bit earlier, it will benefit you greatly to be involved in Sunday school. And I challenge you uh, to do that. But here we're looking in the Old Testament about David. And there's a few things I want to mention to you before I even start reading in 1 Samuel 27. The context basically is this, that, that of course Saul is king at this particular time. He is considered as man's king. Man had, you know, they had begun to cry out to God. They wanted a king like all the other nations. And God basically told them, hey, I'm all you need. But they kept begging and whining and complaining. Boy, we better be careful complaining about certain things. Especially about carnal things and fleshly things. And, and anyhow, they cried out to God, and God got, a, got his belly full of it. So he gave them a king by the name of Saul. And he told them, man, there's going to be problems. And sure enough, they were. And because of Saul's rebellion there in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, his partial obedience. And partial obedience is the same as disobedience, by the way. As a result of that, God rent the kingdom from Saul and gave it unto another who God labeled as a man after his own heart, which we know as David. Now, David wasn't a perfect man because David, of course, he sinned, but he was a man after God's own heart. He had the same heartbeat and, and the compassion that God did. Did he make mistakes? Sure, he did, just like you and I and every other person that's ever lived outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that was perfect. He's the only one no guy was found in the mouth. He's the only one that that 100% accuracy when he was put on trial, he came away spotless. Why, preacher? Because he was spotless. He was sinless. He was the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But David was a man that God used mildly. The greatest king that Judah ever had was a man by the name of David. And as we look at this, David is running for his life because Saul is after him. Now keep in mind, Saul is man's king. David was God's choice. And David was anointed on three different occasions. Now if you miss this right here, you're going to miss it all. So if you come in five minutes after I say this, well, you're going to be lost. So you better pay attention right here. We know that David was anointed three times. The first time he was anointed privately, Brother Brandon, in the house of Jesse, his father. If you remember that text, and we look, I believe it's in 1 Samuel 16. I've been saying, I believe it's 16. He came in, and all the sons of Jesse passed before Samuel. And the Lord said, well, I've refused all these. Samuel got his eye on Eliab. Eliab stood head and shoulders over the rest of them. He had a good countenance. And, and Samuel said, well, surely this is the Lord's anointing. And the Lord said, no, I've refused him. So Samuel had to ask Jesse, well, have you got any more sons? He said, yeah, I sure do. He said, the youngest is out tending the sheep. He said, well, let him come by. Well, sure enough, that's the one when Samuel saw him, the Lord said, that's him. Anoint him. And he anointed him there in Jesse's house. The Bible said this, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 12. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. And that him is David. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So Samuel came in and he anoints David, Brother Harold, to be king over Israel. But it was done privately. 
Not everybody knew that. It was privately. But listen, God had set him to be king over Israel. At that particular time, Saul is reigning. But in chapter 15, he's rebelled his partial obedience. He didn't kill the flock, and he didn't kill the men that God told him to. And as a result of that, he was judged, and his kingdom was rent. So now Saul's on the way out, and David is on the way in. The second anointing was a public anointing in 2 Samuel chapter 2. This was by the men of Judah in a place called Hebron. Now stay with me. 2 Samuel 2, verse 3 and 4. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now over 15 years have passed since that private anointing in Jesse's house to that account that I just read in 2 Samuel chapter 2. At this particular time, Saul is dead. Now, of course, we know according to the Word of God that David reigned in Hebron over seven years before he reigned in Jerusalem. But that was the second anointing. Fifteen years had elapsed. Then there was a third anointing. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, and I, I ain't forgot, I'm coming back to 1 Samuel 27, but i got to give you this. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse number 3 and 5, we see that this third anointing was by the men of Israel in Hebron. David's been reigning up there, and after they anoint him, after he's reigned there for over seven years, he makes his move down to Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. And King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. Now, this third anointing, 22 years, Brother Wayne, have elapsed from the time that he was privately anointed there in Jesse's house till he was anointed here to be king over Israel. All the tribes are unified at this point by the time you get to 2 Samuel, chapter number 5, verse 3 through 5. And David immediately goes to Jerusalem, and he begins to reign for over 33 years there. Well, when we look at our text in 1 Samuel 27, I just read to you, there's three anointings that David had. The first one was private. The second was public 15 years later. The third one was 22 years later after that private deal. And the last two were both public. The context of 1 Samuel 27 is found in between that first anointing and the second anointing. In other words, the second anointing, Saul was dead. At this particular time, 1 Samuel 27, Saul is alive. But he's been after God's anointed. Saul is king. He's on his way out. David's on his way in. Saul recognizes that. Jealousy and envy began to set in. Remember when they came into the streets and, and they would sing this song, the ladies would, that Saul had, had slain his thousands and David had slain his ten thousands. And jealousy and rage and envy began to set in. Boy, jealousy and envy is a dangerous thing, by the way. Bible even said it's cruel as the grave in the book of Proverbs. It's a dangerous thing. It'd do us well to stay away from jealousy and away from envy. I've often said this, and it's the truth. You're never jealous or you're never envy over somebody that's behind you in the race. Now, that ain't real deep theological thinking. 
But you don't envy folks, and you're not jealous over folks that are behind you. But if somebody gets a step out in front or gets a little more recognition than you, then if you're not careful, jealousy and envy will set up. And it's of the devil, by the way. It's of the works of the flesh. You go to the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. It talks about the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. But it also talks about the works of the flesh. And envy and lust make that list. That's a list you don't want to be on. But Saul is envious. And jealous of David. Now this is a little deeper message than normally that I would preach on a Sunday morning. But this is where we are. When we look at this, Saul is after David. And David as a result of that, notice in 1 Samuel 27 verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in, in the in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. So David says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down into the land of the Philistines. And of course we know, according to the word of God, the Philistines and the Israelites, there's always been a struggle, there's always been a battle, always been a strife. And we see that in the book of Judges numerous times with Samson and others. The Philistines would oppress the people of God and God would raise up a deliverer and a judge to rescue the people out. Well, David decides to go down into the land of the Philistines. We would call this the providential hand of God. Uh, God was looking after David, allowing him to go down into enemy territory. Now look at verse number 2 of 1 Samuel 27. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him, unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So here is David and his 600 men. David, again, has been anointed privately. He hadn't been anointed publicly there with the second anointing yet. Saul is still after his life. But day by day, the Scriptures will tell us in just a moment that folks continue to come unto David until that army is built up. But look at verse number 3. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country, that I may dwell there, for why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Now David was a wise man. At least two reasons that, that he comes to Achish down in Gath, down in the land of the Philistines. The reason he requests to be moved, I believe, is twofold. Number one, because the influence that surround him in Gath. He wants to get away from that godless society. So he asks for a place in the country. Well, I could preach on country boys this morning, but I ain't going to do that. Thank God there's a lot of folks live in the city, and listen, they, they got a soul that need to be saved, but thank God for that little place, Brother Jason, in the country. Amen. It's a little bit quieter. It's a little more laid back. Some folks come over here, especially some that come for revival. They said, man, how, where's all these people come from here out in the middle of nowhere on Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina? It's a little place in the country. But here David asked for a place out in the country, no doubt. And keep in mind, here was a man that come down from Israel. The second reason he probably wanted a place in the country was, was because all these Philistines probably had their eye on King David. They were probably watching him every move he made. They knew where he was from. 
So he wanted to get away from that for two reasons. Get away from, from that inspector gadget eye or the inspector eyes that were on him. And secondly, to get away from that influence in that godless society down in Gath in the Philistines. And yet God had his hand upon him all the way. Now look with me in verse number 6. Then Achish gave him Ziklag. Now remember that name because you're going to see it again in just a minute. Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So here he is for a full year and four months. He's down in Gath. He's requested for that little place in the country. And he goes into Ziklag. Now how many times have I told you that the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself? Now, I want you to go to 1 Chronicles chapter number 12, and we're going to have the commentary in 1 Chronicles 12 of 1 Samuel 27. Here in this place, in between the two anointings of King David, he's in a place called Ziklag. According to the Word of God, he's there for a year and four months. And notice in the Bible, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 1, now these are they that came to David to Ziklag. So this is the account that was given in 1 Samuel 27. Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag. Of course it made mention of the 600 men and the mighty men over there in 1 Samuel 27. The Bible goes on to say, While he yet kept himself close because of Saul the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. These were men that were with David, and they were helpers of the war. What war? The war that was raging between Saul and King David. You could say the forces of evil versus the forces of good. That's what was going on. You could say the battle of the flesh and the battle of the spirit. And there is a battle, by the way, and there is a war even in our day today that hopefully by way of application we'll see in just a moment. But here were these men... Now, we know that Saul was the son of Kish. Now, Saul was from the tribe. Does anybody know what tribe Saul was from? He was from the tribe of Benjamin, that little, small tribe. Well, why is that important? Look at verse 2. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Even some of Saul's brethren had defected from Saul. They were from the same tribe he was, but they had defected and had followed King David down here to the place that is called Ziklag. Now in 1 Samuel chapter number 22 and verse number 7 and 8, Saul had appealed unto his brethren, specifically the Benjamites. Saul would grant them favor with fields and vineyards if they would just follow here. He tried to sweeten the pot and sweeten the deal, but a lot of them saw right through it, Brother Brandon, and they followed the true anointed one, David, to be king over Israel. And here they are. They're down in Ziklag. Now drop with me down to verse number 8. And of the Gadites, there separated themselves unto David into the hold to the wilderness, men of might and men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as the rose upon the mountain. So here's these Gadites. You say, who in the world was the Gadites? Well, 
There was a group of, there were several tribes, if you remember, the land was divvied out when they went into the promised land. Well, there was three, well, there's two and a half tribes that stayed on the east side of the Jordan. One was Reuben, and the other was Gad. And then there was a half tribe of Manasseh that settled on the other side. If you go to Numbers chapter number 32 and verse number 1, Reuben and Gad looked around. They saw that, that land in Jezer, and they saw that the land was fit for cattle. They, they requested unto Moses, and Moses, let us stay over here. So he led them. And then a half-tribe of Manasseh stayed over there. And then later on in Joshua 22 and verse number 7, Manasseh, the other half-tribe, settled on the west side in the promised land. But where does the Gadites come from? It come from Gad, the tribe of Gad. That's some of that crowd from the east side of the Jordan River that never went into the promised land that settled over there where there's good farmland. Here was the crew that is signed up with David in a place called Ziklag. Now, drop down with me in verse 20. Now, I'm going to give you the message in a minute, but look at verse 20 of 1 Chronicles 12. And he went to Ziklag. There fell to him of Manasseh, Adnan, and Josabad, and Jediel, and Michael, and Josabad, and Elihu, and Zilthai, captains of the thousands that were of Manasseh. Don't you just love those Old Testament names? Praise the Lord. Verse 21, And they helped David against the band of the rovers, and they were all mighty men of valor and were captains in the host. For at that time, day by day, watch this now, day by day. Well, what time? That time he's in Ziklag, according to the Word of God, 1 Samuel 27, one year and four months. The Bible said, for at that time, day by day, for that year and four months, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host like the host of God. And these are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war and came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Now, I've read a lot. I've given you a lot already by way, I guess you could say, of introduction. These three anointings that David had and what's taking place is between these first two anointings from the time he was anointed privately in the house of Jesse. He's going to be king over Israel. And here he is, Saul is after his life and he is run down unto Achish, the king of Gath, down in the land of the Philistines. He was questing for a little place out in the country. And, the Lord, and certainly the king of Achish, uh, king Achish allows him to go out and to do that. And we see that unfolding. And for a year and four months, Every day, Brother Brandon, there's some of those mighty men were filtering in from Israel down to David. They recognized as a true heir to the throne. And it was not Saul. It was going to be King David, a man after God's own heart. And as we look at this, boy, something really jumps out at me. And, and I preached along these lines at some point or the other. But I've got some notes in my Bible. And when I read back through, sometimes it jumps back out. And it refreshes my mind. I want you to look with me in verse number 1. Here's the message. And here's the thought. Now these are they that came to David to Ziklag. And again, he's there for a year and four months while he yet kept himself close because of Saul, the, the son of Kish. And they, they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. If I could preach for just a little while this morning, I want to preach on the helpers of the war. We see this unfolding. There's some men. According to 1 Samuel 27, there were 600 that initially went with him to Ziklag and then according to the Word of God in verse number 22, every day for a year and four months, these men have, have picked up day by day. They begin to grow and they begin to develop and hear this great vast army until it becomes a great hope 
Ghost, according to the Word of God, in verse number 22, is formed. These were the helpers of the war. And as we look at this text and we think about it, the Bible said in 2 Samuel chapter 3, in verse number 1, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Why why is the reason behind that? Well, it was part of God's plan. God had chose David, and as a result, Saul is on his way out. As days go by, he's getting weaker and weaker. As day goes by, David's on his way in. He's getting stronger, and he's getting stronger. But nevertheless... There's a war that's going on. The Bible said it was a a large war or a long war, if you will. And thank God that the Lord was assembling a battle, uh, some troops down in a place called Ziklag in enemy territory that God was going to use to help win the battle and to win the war. Now, there is the reality of war. And by way of application, we better get this. The reality of war is crystal clear. I just read to you there in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, there was a long war between Saul and David. According to verse number 1 of 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1 in our text, the Bible said that these mighty men were helpers of the war. There's a reality of war, first of all, that cannot be concealed. We can't conceal it. I could give you this illustration. I mean, you can't just bury your head in the sand and pretend that there's not a battle going on, that there's not a war that's raging. I'm talking about spiritual now. You look, you think about this, you, you can go get a pig, and I use this for a different illustration sometimes. Brother Ed, we can go pick up a hog somewhere over in Surrey County, over next to my house, because I know there's a hog farm over there because I know geographically it's there, and when the wind's blowing, you, you can smell it. And it's different than chicken. It's, than, it's got a different smell than chicken smell. You just know that it's a hog farm. But we could go over to the hog farm, Brother Brandon, not far from where your daddy's pastoring at, and we could pick up one of those hogs. We could go give him some rosemary petals and, 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 and put it in water and get that stuff smelling real, real good, Brother Kevin. And once we wash him up good, we could put some perfume on him. Then we could put a bow on his head, put some lipstick on him. But at the end of the day, son, he's going to be a pig. Well, preacher, what's that got to do with anything? You can't, listen, the reality of war cannot be concealed. At the end of the day, there's a battle that's going on. We can't just bury our head and pretend like everything's all right. There's a battle that rages against us. And it cannot be concealed and it cannot be canceled. Listen, that war is going to continue on until Jesus comes. A lot of folks say, well, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Listen, I know what the Bible says, but you can pray for it all you want to. But there's not going to be any peace until the Prince of Peace comes back. Rest assured, make no mistake about that. Until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, there'll be no peace here on earth. By, by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't come to send peace. He came to bring division according to what he said. Yeah, man. But we think about the war, it cannot be canceled out. As long as we live in this flesh, we're going to deal with war. We're going to deal with battle. What did Ephesians 6 said? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a battle that rages on. There's a war that we must face. Paul put it this way. Probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. He he had this struggle in Romans chapter 7 verse 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of a sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul recognized there was a battle on the inside. Paul was a saved man, but there was a war going on in in his mind and in his body and in his flesh. The same thing goes on with you and I. Did you know that uh, life is not a playground, but it's a battleground? Now, some folks treat it like a playground, but life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. In which we live. Somebody, I remember years ago, this little fellow got, he got saved, Brother T.R. He got born again, and, and the preacher was getting ready to baptize him. And, and he baptized his brother Brandon just as soon as he came up. That old boy just got baptized. He said, Woo, glory to God, I'll never sin again. The preacher said, Hang on, wait a minute. If that's going to happen, I'm going to have to hold you under the water a whole lot longer than that. Because as long as we're alive, and as long as we got breath, we're going to have some wars, man. We're going to have some battles. And the reality of war is this. It can't be concealed. And it can't be canceled out. As long as we're breathing, we're going to have a battle. That's what was going on in David's day. For one year and four months, we see the reality of war. But watch this now. Notice the readiness of war. There was a readiness of war. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, go with me now. Look with me in verse number 8. Well, look at verse 2. The Bible said... And these mighty men, they were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left. They were ambidextrous. I remember years ago, I thought, man, what in the world is ambidextrous? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm four bush, Fall Creek education, you know, Piedmont Baptist. I, ambi, what is ambidextrous? It just simply means, and it should be easier just to say, you can use either hand. And why can't you just say that? What, what, what is ambidextrous? It means you can use your left hand or your right hand. That's what these fellows were. They were ambidextrous. They could use either hand. They were qualified. They were ready, the Bible said. And the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even to Saul's brethren of Benjamin. And look at verse 8. And of the Gattites, there, there, were, there separated themselves unto David in the hold of the wilderness, men of might, and men of war, watch this, fit for the battle, that could, that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. It's like a deer. They were swift. Well, the readiness of war, we could look at this, and we could say that they were physically fit. Did you know if somebody goes into battle, and there's still requirements today to get into, into our armed forces, why? Because if you're not physically fit, you become a liability. You can get killed yourself or you can get somebody else killed if you're not physically fit. These fellows were fit for battle. Look at what it said in verse number 8. And the Gattites, they were separated themselves unto David and the hold of the wilderness, men of might and men of war, fit for the battle. Physically, they were ready and prepared to go. Not only were they physically fit, but we know they were proficient. According to the Word of God, we just read there that they could handle shield and buckler. Now, that buckler here is a javelin or a spear. Now, they could handle that. Much like if somebody was not equipped physically, they would be a liability. But if they weren't experienced with the shield and the buckler, they would have been a liability as well. But these men were trained and they were skillful with the shield and with these spears and javelins and these bucklers. Not only that, they were poised. According to the Word of God, notice what the Bible said in verse 8. Their faces were like the faces of lions. They weren't quivering or afraid, but they were confident. You face a lion, man. Uh, I don't want to face a lion. 
Remember years ago we went to that Wakakiti Zoo or whatever that thing was down there close to Socatee, South Carolina. Garrett's just a little old bitty fella, and, and we had to get out of there because I think that big male lion was wanting to eat him. Because well, I was around there, and he didn't, didn't start grabbing. Man, when he come around, that old, that old lion started roaring. I mean, the, the ground shook when that dude got to roaring. Now, you don't want to face a lion with these fellas. The Bible said their faces were like the faces of lions. We could say this, these boys wouldn't sissies. <laughs> these boys wouldn't sissies. Hey, man, they didn't have a rainbow flag wrapped around them. Hey, man. Their faces were like the faces of lions. By the way, it is Father's Day and happy Father's Day to everybody. But we're facing a crisis in America today of masculinity. We got too much feminineness. Listen, the little boys don't need to be playing with dolls. And, and you're going to get this for free. Give them a saw. Give them a chainsaw. Give them a hammer. Give them a knife. Give them something to play. Well, preacher, they might get hurt, man. It won't hurt them near as bad as letting them play with that baby doll, man. I'm telling you, men ought to have some masculinity about it and some women ought to have some femininity but that's the way God made each one there's only two genders by the way <laughs> male and female anything else is abomination I hate to get on all that but it's a fact these fellows were not sissies they were poised their faces were like the faces of lions somebody said man he couldn't make it through one service without saying something controversial it shouldn't be controversial at all Readiness of war. These were physically fit, proficient. They were poised. They were prompt. Look what the Bible said. They were swift as rose upon the mountains. Uh, that's what it says. So they were fast. They weren't like molasses in the wintertime. Molasses don't flow good in the summertime when it's warm, but they don't, don't flow at all when it's cold and, and cold weather sets it up. But these men were prepared for war and ready for war. Now, the sad thing is this. The reality of war, there's a war around us. These boys were ready, and a lot of God's people, now let's just stay with me now, a lot of people fall in, fall in battle because they never prepare themselves. They never prepare themselves for battle. Why do I prepare myself for battle? Did you know it starts with something dying? <laughs> if we're going to survive in the Christian life, there's going, something's going to have to die. What's that? Ourself. Amen. Galatians 2, verse number 20. Paul said, I'm crucified. And anytime you see crucified in the Bible, it's killing something. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I die to Christ daily. And that's what we have to do, by the way. Jesus made this statement, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. What's he talking about? Take it up. Die daily and follow me. Again, you give the devil an inch, he'll be your ruler. These fellows were ready for war. They were physically fit. They weren't a liability. Hey, they, we understand that they were proficient. They could handle uh, the, 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 the shield and the buckler. They could use their left hand. They could use their right hand according to the word of God. Verse number 2, they were proficient. They were poised. They were confident. And listen, we ought to be confident in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you get confident in this flesh, man. This flesh will fail. This flesh will let you down. But I'm here to tell you, you can be confident in the Lord and the King of kings, the one that made us, the one that saved us, the one that empowers us, the one that leads us by His Spirit and by His Word every day. But We've got to equip ourselves, and we've got to ready ourselves for the battle. But there's a reality of war. There's a readiness of war, but there's a reason. Well, why, why is there a war raging at all? Well, notice in our text pertaining here, look at verse 23. And these are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war and came to David to Hebron. Now, here it is, to turn the kingdom of Saul to him 
according to the Word of God. There's two reasons for war that you'll see in verse number 23. First of all, you see the cause. The cause or the objective. What was the objective of these men? The Bible said to turn the kingdom of Saul to him. Who's him? That's David. What was the objective? What was, what was the driving force, the cause of this battle? These men came down day by day, according to verse number 22, for a year and four months to strengthen David. They had a cause. They had an objective. So David could be king of Israel. And there's a cause for us as well, as we'll share in just a moment. But think about the obedience also that's found in verse 23, or the conviction. Notice what the Bible said, according to... To the word of the Lord, the last part there of verse number 23. There was an objective. What was the objective? That was to turn the kingdom of Saul. The obedience was to be according to the word of God. They had a conviction. It was the will of God. And these men were down in Ziklag day by day fighting for the will of God. You know, there's some things worth fighting for today. There's a lot of things worth fighting for today that we could mention. First of all, we, we could say that freedom is worth fighting for. Now, we're talking about secular freedom, freedom right now. I mean, I, I don't want to have to deal with a dictator. I don't want to have to deal with socialists. And, folks, we, you don't realize how close we are to that here in the United States of America. I'm ready to buy our arms. <laughs> so what's that got to do with the message? Well, listen, I think there's some things worth fighting for. The freedoms that we have. Who wants to live in a dictator's society? Who wants to deal with a socialist agenda? Well, listen, folks, freedom is worth fighting for. We think about Memorial Day. Listen, thank God for the freedom we have. But freedom isn't free. It costs a life of somebody that had a vision, that had a dream, that had a desire about some freedom that we possess. And we, we live it. We take it for granted. We just sort of go through day by day flippantly not even realizing that the freedom we have, it costs somebody a life. We ought to fight for our freedom. Amen. We ought to do that. We ought to fight for our family. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Our family is worth fighting for. Preacher, it's just a struggle to get to church. That's a battle that you got. But it's worth it to your family. Amen. To be close to one of those wells that Brother Adrian talked about this morning. One day you'll be glad you did. Well, I got so many things pulling against me, preacher. I got so many things that, that, that consume my time. Listen, man, your family's worth fighting for. Yeah, man. I'd fight for my babies. You'd fight for your babies. We ought to fight for our families. To fight to keep them close to God. In this, this wicked world in which we're living, man, we better keep them close to God. Freedom is worth fighting for. Families are worth fighting for. Our faith is worth fighting for. In that little book of Jude, in about verse number 2 or verse number 3, he said to earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered unto the saints. We're to fight for the faith. He talked about that well. I hate to keep going back to that. John chapter number 4, that's where that woman at the well came. And yeah, I remember preaching that message years ago. Somebody kept the well clean. Thank God somebody's kept the well clean here at Faith. And listen, you're one leadership. Don't, don't miss this now. You're one leadership change away from going liberal. Do you know that? That's right. One leadership change away from going liberal. Amen. You say, well, this church is doing this, this church. I'm not really interested in what other churches are doing. Can I just get a witness right there? Amen. We're interested in what we're going to do right here. Listen, just because somebody else does it don't mean we're going to do it. Amen. You know, churches are like ice cream. You can pick your flavor. You can go pretty much wherever you want to. But, man, listen, I, probably the best, the best compliment I guess I've had in a long time, Brother T.R., Talked to, I guess it was Shirley the other day. Shirley had surgery on Friday. Or it might have been Sue. I believe it's Shirley, though. Shirley said, 
said, since I've been coming to faith, she said, that's taken me back 40 years. 40 years. That's the way they used to sing. That's the way they used to preach. Well, by the grace of God, we want to continue to sing that way. We want to continue to preach that way. And thank God it's been like that. It didn't start with me. It's been like that as a heritage. But you've got to guard that stuff. And our faith is worth fighting for. This new age movement, the pressures that, that come. Well, you've got to have the jungle beat. And you've got to have the Christian rock. By the way, hogwash makes me want to puke, makes God want to puke. There ain't no such a thing as Christian rock. It's of hell. It's of the devil. It's wicked. These new perversions of the Bible. Forget all that stuff. We all just stick with the old path and honey that we'll find rest for our soul there's things worth fighting for now there's some things that we can we and listen i'm not going to debate anybody about any i'm not into all that stuff god said avoid all that stuff those vain babblings but we'll stand on the principles of the word of god amen why because freedom is worth fighting for our families and your family's worth fighting for our faith is worth fighting for what about this what about the flock the church, and we've already hit on that a little bit. The church, the flock here, is worth fighting for. There's not one of you in here that I wouldn't fight for. You say, preacher, you don't even know me. I'd fight for you. I'd try my best. God has entrusted me with, with, with to, to pastor this flock right here, and I would fight for you. I'd fight for your children. Now, I'm not going to back up on sin, but I, I would help you any way that I possibly can. It's because we preach on sin. You say, well, man, that, that hit me in my feet. I wasn't aiming for your feet. I was aiming for your heart. But at the end of the day, I'm going to shake your hand. It's nothing personal. Listen, I love you. I want to be a help to you. But God's called me to be a spokesman for the things of God and the Word of God. And we want to fight for the flock as all of us should. We ought to fight for fellow believers. We're in this thing together. It's not like, well, we got, well, we got the pettits over here. They, they got their little section. We got the Wagner. We, we, we got the Wagners over here. They got their section. Got the Davises back there. The Butlers. We're all single. No, we're not single. We're united in one. <laughs> now, how many of you know there ain't no identical twins in the family of God? Now, you chew on that a little bit. Put that in the spiritual pipe and smoke it. There is no... Identical twins in a family of God. What's that mean, preacher? All of us are different. All of us got different backgrounds. We we got different tendencies. We got different things that set us off. We got different traits. We got different characteristics. We got different talents. We got different gifts that God gives us. But God puts us in the church together. You might say, well, I just... I, I couldn't see myself sitting down and eating supper with somebody that, that's in the church. We ought to carve you out a place right up here somewhere. Somewhere right up in here. <laughs> we hold it too far. Well, this ain't in the notes. We hold the two ordinances in the church. One is baptism and the other is communion. That's what we do. Now, others hold the foot washing. I wouldn't be against foot washing. I don't believe it's an ordinance. I believe John 13, the picture of that and the context talking about forgiveness. But I'd say this, and boy, and this will really, this, will, this might test your spirituality. If you had a problem washing somebody's feet in the church, you say, oh, that's nasty. Bitch, I get sick. Well, that gives you a mask or something. But if you had a problem <laughs> washing somebody's feet, taking the form of a servant, 
That'll show your spiritual, your spiritual maturity. It would. Amen. Amen. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? What I'm trying to say, we ought to fight for fellow believers. We're still the only army. I'm talking about God's people. Now, stay with me. You know what I'm getting ready to say is right. You, well, you, you'll know it'll be right when I say it. We're the only army that shoots its own soldiers. What are you talking about, preacher? We're the only army that shoots its own soldiers. Well, how do we shoot our own soldiers? You do it by gossip. You do it by Facebook. Here we are again. How many times do I talk about Facebook, and I still hear about people taking shots at one another on Facebook? Amen! Good place up here on the altar. If you've got a problem with that, you need to get right with God. Preacher, I'm here all the time. I read my Bible. I tithe. I pray. Yeah, but if you take taking shots on Facebook, you're in sin. God's not pleased with that. Amen. <laughs> oh, boy, this is good. We're probably going to have some roast porn dates for, for lunch today, I'm sure. But it's the truth. Why is this important? Our fellow believers are worth fighting for. You say, well, somebody done something that I didn't approve of. Well, if they took a magnifying glass, probably wouldn't have to have a magnifying glass to examine you. They could probably find some fault where you didn't line up exactly right, too. Amen. Amen. But it never fails. I, somebody will call me this week. Somebody will text me this week. Why did such and such post this? Why did such... How, how can I control that? I mean, really, there's some things we can't fix. I cannot fix idiocy. I cannot fix stupidity. And I hate to use that word, but that's what it is. And people continue to do it. Regardless of how many times I preach on it, Daddy, it still goes on and on and on and on. And then I have to get up here and God puts it on my heart and I have to preach and, and it gets me fired up because people shooting their one another. We got enough battles out in the world, man. The Bible said in Galatians chapter number 6, If a man be overtaken in the fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He said to do it in the spirit of meekness. First of all, he said you're spiritual. And if you're posting that junk on Facebook, you ain't spiritual. Amen. Amen. <laughs> now, what's that got to do with anything, preacher? Well... There's some things worth fighting for. Number one, freedom, family, faith, the flock, fellow believers. But our future, man, is worth fighting for. It is. I got little ones. Y'all got little ones. Y'all got grandbabies. We got a great nucleus of young people. Thank God for our youth program, Brother Brandon, what he's doing with our kids. And, and they're coming up. They're worth fighting for. There's a reality of war is there. But one question to you, Sister Savannah's coming. And to myself, am I a helper or am I a hinderer? <laughs> These boys in 1 Chronicles 12, the Bible said they were helpers of the war. Day by day, they went for a year and four months. Until it became a great host, Brother Brandon. A great host. And boy, there they are. They're, they're growing. They're developing. And they're fighting because there's a cause. There's an objective. And there's a cause for us to fight today, man. Man, the freedoms that we have, it's worth fighting for. Our family, our faith. Yes, I'm passionate about these things. Fellow believers, 
We're to love one another. We're to be there for one another. We're to restore one another. It's not a matter of if you fall. Well, I can't believe somebody done that. It was by the grace of God we didn't do it. There's people that need help. You don't need to shoot them and kick them while they're down. Be spiritual and go and try to help somebody along the way. Don't be a hinderer in the war, but be a helper of the war. One day, we'll be glad that we did. As we stand all over the house, let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you for the privilege, opportunity, Lord, to share your word, God, this morning. Thank you for the text here of David, his mighty men. Lord, we know there's a battle that's raging on. God, I do plead and I pray that you would help us to have enough spiritual sense to fight for the freedoms that we have, the family, Lord, our flock, and the faith that was delivered unto us, Lord, for our fellow believers and for our future. Lord, so many things to fight for. God, help us to be a helper and not a hinderer. I pray for the one that may be here today never been saved, never been born again. God, may the day be the day that they trust Christ as Savior. I pray for those that may be struggling with sin. Lord, maybe with a gospel tongue or a gospel finger. Lord, I ask God that you deal with that heart. Convict them, Lord. If they're saved, convict them and deal with them. If they're lost, God save them. God, do a work that only you can do. Help us to be helpers of the war as in David's day. And we'll give you thanks for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Pondexter pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat-and-meat service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words and good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked Him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.